The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org. Chambers Here we go then. Uh, I would like to call this uh, committee the whole meeting to order for January 17th, Tuesday. Uh, this is our meeting where we generally focus on one topic or two in advance of our regular business meeting, which will be at seven o'clock this evening. So uh, this meeting is officially now called to order and our first order of business is to call the roll. Clerk Borling. Commissioner Decker. Present. Commissioner Hess. Here. Commissioner Hoffman. Present. Commissioner Juarez. I'm here. Commissioner Pradel. Present. Vice Mayor Cooney. Mayor Anderson. Here. May I have a motion to excuse Vice Mayor Cooney? So moved. Motion made by Commissioner Hess. Support. Supported by Commissioner Hoffman. All in favor, please say aye. 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 All opposed, nay. All right, thank you so much. Next is communications. Manager Ritzma. Uh, nothing, Your Honor. Thank you. So we are uh, now down to the point of our agenda for, their, for public comments for our Committee of the Whole. Uh, for Committee of the Whole, public comments are limited to two minutes as opposed to three minutes at our regular meeting. If you want to make a comment, please come to the podium, state your name, and whether you live in the city. Yes, please. Go ahead. I, good evening, I'm Toby Hannah Davies and I live on West Nitch Hill in the city. And I wanna thank you for adding um, housing in a strong way to the budget. Um, I'm not as good at reading that budget as you are, but I'm very happy that I see um, good progress on increasing the housing. Um, as you understand really well, the need for housing is over a, a big array of types of housing. But the most serious need is within the core neighborhoods where there's been disinvestment for not just decades, but hundreds of years. So my question to you is, have you done everything you can to build equity into how housing is funded with the city funds. Um, that's really important to all of us in the Isaac Housing Task Force, Isaac in general, um, and to, of course, the people who are living in substandard housing um, in many two places, too many places in this community, or don't have a place at all or have been evicted, have lost what they had before, <clears throat> or foreclosed on for all different kinds of reasons that are often beyond people's control. So um, please, before you vote, see if there's any way you can make commitment to 
equity in the way housing is funded and use your city funds to do the most needed changes. Um, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you. Just before I ask whether there's anyone else here in the chambers that wants to speak, I want to remind people you can call in with public comments as well. That number is 888-382-9556. And there'll be an opportunity to call in for public comments at our business meeting. Anyone else in the chambers that wants to make a comment during public comment time this evening? Seeing no one at this time, Deputy City Manager Chamberlain, has anybody called in? We'll go ahead, Chuck. We do not have any calls. Thank you, DCM Chamberlain, I appreciate it. So we are on to our work here, the community of the whole, and I will turn it over to Manager Ritzma. Well, thank you, Your Honor. And tonight, we would like to uh, present to you uh, our housing development sites and units um, and look forward to a discussion around what the needs are and, and how those needs may be uh, fulfilled. And as was mentioned, this is a one of the highest priorities of the commission, if not the highest. And so uh, it was good to have this on tonight to focus on housing and what our community planning economic development department uh, led by Antonio Mitchell uh, plans on doing. So I'll turn it over to Director Mitchell. Welcome Director Mitchell, nice to have you here with us. Thank you, uh, it's good to be here. Good evening Mayor, Vice Mayor, who's not here, uh, City Attorney, City Manager and Commissioners. Um, we are happy to be here as um, CPED staff to provide a pretty much an update on where housing stands and what our department is working on. Um, the presentations will be pretty much completed by Ms. Sherilyn Parsons, our housing development supervisor, and I will end it um, with some conclusions on the last two slides to button up everything before we take on questions um, from the mayor and the commission. So. Ms. Parsons? Welcome, Ms. Parsons. Nice to have you here with us this evening. Thank you. I'm Sherilyn Parsons, Housing Development Supervisor with the city. I thank you for inviting me here to speak. Mayor Anderson, commissioners, I heard that you focused just on one or two topics in this meeting, so I appreciate the invitation that I am one of those topics. So I was asked a couple things to present tonight. One was to talk about what happened in 2022 and also a look forward in 2023 and to talk about the housing plan, the city's housing plan and strategy. So um, I'm going to start with when I started, which was in 2021, uh, we had some great information with Imagine Kalamazoo master plan, as well as the consolidated plans and the neighborhood plans. There was a lot of really good information contained in those documents that allowed us to start with housing activities uh, so that we could just right out the gate start making some um, positive impact in the area of housing development. However, there wasn't enough up-to-date data yet to actually begin to formalize a housing strategy or a housing plan per se. 
So in July of 2022, the Kalamazoo County rolled out their housing plan. And so this was really exciting for me and those that work with me because it gave us up-to-date empirical statistical data that we could begin to dive in and sort of extrapolate out the information contained within the housing plan to determine which, um, what is the responsibility, excuse me, what is the responsibility of the city in regards to what was presented in the county housing plan. So I've been working with WE Upjohn Foundation to actually drill down into what is contained within the county housing plan to begin to formalize the city's housing plan. So one of the really interesting graphics that's found in the Kalamazoo County housing plan is the continuum for housing. So it talks all about the continuum from homeless to market, to market rate homes. And it is important to note within a housing plan and strategy, a healthy housing continuum provides homes for those in all ranges of income. So as we start to dive in to see what we're looking at um, and what we've done, you will see, you will see um, lowest incomes to market rates. And it's important to note that sometimes in a housing plan, market rate housing kind of gets a bad rap um, because affordable housing tends to always be on the forefront of, of need and concern. But research shows that with market rate and affordable housing, uh, when, when you allow for that type of construction to happen, it actually opens up affordable units to about 30 to 40%. So what does that mean? It's basically supply and demand. So if all we focus on is one um, income, what happens is you lock the housing market up where you can't have a natural recycling of housing units. So if you're in an affordable unit and your income goes up and you desire to move, but you wanna move in the same neighborhood that you live in, if there's no opportunity to move up, it stymies the housing market because the affordable units just stick. They just get stuck because people can't move out of them and then they can't recycle into the market. So um, you'll see some, um, some information about the um, examples. I'm gonna just put, they're just examples. Some of what I, I provide today are examples of a housing mix of diversity of income um, and types of housing. Um, the other thing to note about uh, the variety of housing type as it pertains to both the unit type and the income is um, within a market where construction, any type of construction, affordable and market rate, when it's not happening, the natural sort of fluidity of, happen of what happens within a housing ecosystem gets dammed up, it stops, um, because people can't move in and out as their life changes. So you might enter into a first time home uh, with a certain income, work your career, move into a second home that might move up in income. Um, and then as you start to think about what does my life look post, you know, working and striving for all my goals, you might end up wanting to move back down into an empty nest type home. So, so in the housing plan and continuum, we are really looking at the full range. Um, 
A healthy housing market has options for any situation. One thing to note in the Kalamazoo County Housing Plan is it was noted their top two priorities from the responders of that plan were affordable housing for low-income and vulnerable individuals and for support services. This is key because the city plans and really hopes to partner with the county uh, for county millage on all of our affordable and vulnerable house, households, um, as well as to expand the breadth of what we can service with supportive services. And so I just, I think it's interesting to point out that I think there is more opportunity for partnership given that um, those were the priorities identified. Okay, so from that plan, as we begin to think about the city's plan, what do we know? We know there is a shortage of housing units at all price points. Um, we know this is a result of a low rate of construction, um, high construction costs. So coming out of the pandemic, costs really did go um, kind of through the roof, pun intended. <laughs> uh, an increased demand from a growing population. So the county at, at, at large is growing, the population. It's important when we think about um, the city's housing strategy to be very intentional about where we are focusing our efforts because currently some of the neighborhood populations are in a decline and some are in an increase. So we wanna meet the demand where it's at and also um, encourage uh, new families or, um, or our, um, yeah, new families to move into some of those declining markets. And then housing costs are increasing faster than wages. And we also know that when that happens, there is an overburdening that happens with housing. And then when supply and demand also gets out of skew, when the supply of housing is low and the demand is high, then you're gonna pay top dollar for housing and that also strains um, people's ability to get into homes. So we also want to meet the need of getting construction going. So how we plan. What we've been talking about within community planning and economic development is we need to be thinking about how can we create construction opportunities. The city proper does not build things. We partner with those who are skilled, inept, inept, inept? I think that's the right word. I mean, I need anything. Is that right word, Stephanie? Okay. <laughs> In doing this type of development. Um, and so how do we build these opportunities? Also, how do we build strategic partnerships? So if we think about how I mentioned the county plan and how we hope to partner with the county millage, that is just an exa one example of a strategic partnership. How do we invite others into the equation who can leverage and maximize both the efforts and the dollars that are required to make development happen? How do we plan and spur on more units? And then how do we plan and how are we intentional about creating mixed income opportunities so that we don't err on either side? 
So this is a little bit of a convoluted slide, but I wanted to sort of, sort of show behind the scenes the conversations that are happening in community planning and economic development. So we're thinking, all right, we wanna pave the way for development, for construction opportunities, for strategic partnerships, for more units and for mixed income opportunities. When we work with developers and when we look at development, development happens in phases. And I'm going to touch in a minute on the development phase, um, just to sort of back up what I'm saying here with the phased approach to development. So development happens in phases, basically from concept to compliance. And so in CPED, we were thinking, we wanna create more units, we wanna create construction opportunities, we wanna be mindful of mixed income opportunities and build strategic partnerships, and we know development happens in phases. So what is our skill set? what is our expertise, and how can we couple um, with what we offer as the city to make these four things happen? And some of the strategies we're working on are to get the good stuff going, while we're really working on the short-term and the long-term 10-year um, strat housing strategy. So an example of a phased approach to development that the city, that CPED along with other divisions is talking about is one, zoning and land use. So you might think, well, I'm really more interested in how many units, and I'm getting there, <laughs> getting there, Commissioner, Commissioner Pardo. Um, but taking a step back to think about how do we create these opportunities and how do we get more units is to say what in our zoning works and what in our zoning doesn't work that might be stopping us from doing this. So the city is ahead of the curve on this one because um, a few years ago the conversations were already happening and when looking at the land that we, the vacant lots that we had available, it was determined that most of them were non-conforming um, because of the zoning. The zoning itself just said, yeah, based on the zoning, you can't build here. The setbacks didn't allow it, or the lot wasn't big enough, or the zone itself wasn't correct. And so the city took approach for, and is finalizing, I believe in 2023, their rezoning efforts. It allows for um, proper setbacks so that building can happen. It also allows for more than one unit to be, um, to be erected at a, on a single site in certain areas. So that in and of itself, no one's creating new land here, but uh, it does allow us to get more units. So when thinking about zoning, we also started to think about, well, let's think about the infrastructure too. Because if we have a developer who's building a single family home on a lot that in theory could accommodate two units, if we think about the infrastructure at the time of initial build and go ahead and do the lines in such a way that three to five years down the road, we can do an accessory dwelling unit, then we've just done two for the price of one and we've also done the one in today's price market and the second one is getting built in a different market, therefore offering a deeper affordability for that unit. So to really take a step back and think, how do we phase our approaches, even within, um, within our divisions, and get opportunities going three, five, seven years down the road? So this is what we're calling in our department concentrated impacts, 
and division support. So we're trying to think, how can we really create and maximize the, the, the biggest amount of impacts with what we, with what we have, um, with the skills and what we have available to us for both now and future development. Um, so we know with impacts, there's gonna always be a continued need for gap financing for affordable units and incentives. So we are uh, working on incentives policy to get that out in, in running and um, we'll talk about gap financing in a little bit with this group here. Okay, so speaking of the phases of development, when we talk to a developer, uh, they often come into the city at, at concept phase. They have an idea. Um, they're excited about their idea. They think their idea could work, but they have no idea how. <laughs> no, I don't know how, but I think it can work. Um, so they start engaging with the city, usually in our projects committee, and there's, um, there's zoning there, there's planning there, uh, uh, representatives from CPED are there, Brownfield might be there, natural features might be there. And so there's a lot of components in that concept phase. And so if we think about all the different components, concept, feasibility, getting the finances together, construction, lease up, and compliance, if everything goes well, and there's no hiccups, and there's no surprises, and there's no utility poles in the way, or, um, you know, broken lines underneath. We're talking 18 to 36 months for developments to happen. I wanted to bring this up because when commission asked for me to sort of report on numbers, it gets difficult because we have some of these floating and revolving numbers. So um, I put together what I hope is, is a, uh, a report card that makes sense and is something that can be replicated every, every year here on out. So, report card for 2022. Keeping in mind that construction and development, 18 to 36 months, best case scenario. In 2022, the agreements that were finalized, executed, um, that went through the budget process uh, were uh, the, the um, four projects that are listed on the, let's see, the left side uh, of the table. So there were 10 units for new construction. OO stands for owner-occupied new construction. 12 projected units for incremental rehab. 78 new rental constructions. So those are new that weren't here before new bricks and mortar, and then 60 rental rehab. So those are units that in one shape, way or another, existed before, but maybe not in the same capacity as they, they are now. So for 2022, of, of through the budget process, there were 160 units that entered into an executed agreement for a little over $3 million. But because, <laughs> Development doesn't get funded in one year and complete in one year. It can take 18 to 36 months to uh, complete. In any given year, we have units that were funded in previous years that are still in the works to being completed. So that's where the second little table came in. This is our baseline. 
this is our baseline report. So we've never reported out this way before. So it is, there could be a few, give or take, uh, that we that we couldn't grab in our in the art of this putting this together but this is this is pretty spot on to the rental units that we have under contract and or in the works so they might just be under contract and they might not have started to actually build up yet but they're in the progress they're under an agreement it's going to happen is the 101 units uh, the ownership that are under contracts and in the works are six. That's more than we typically would see, but because of the pandemic, some of construction got behind, um, mostly because there were manufacturing delays with a lot of um, like windows, for instance. And so there's still some catch up happening on that front. What's been completed in 2022, regardless of when it was funded, what's been completed is 70 rental units, nine ownership opportunities, and 228 preservation. Those are homeowner um, type preservation projects. What's on the horizon for 2023? Obviously the asterisk is based on 2023 budget approval. Um, and I put this in there because I talked, I talked about the development phases and that developers start talking to the city very early on in the process. So we are already working on um, talking to what's on the horizon as far as development, what are developers working on, um, how, how can we assist them in their, in their development needs and also create incentives for affordable projects, for affordable um, units within their development projects. So one of the things, a couple of these things were approved already. Uh, the, we do have one developer who has a MISTER reservation and has already been approved for low-income housing tax credits. They are expected to actually start in 2023 64 units, um, it was funded for about 750,000 um, through the annual budget process. We are talking with LISC about a rental rehab uh, program to launch in 23 and 24 and are really, um, really hopeful that the budget supports that and that we are able to get that very needed uh, program in, in play. Uh, you'll hear more about that post post-budget approval and me bringing it here to commission. A new rental construction, 14 units at 400,000, that is happening. There's gonna actually be a groundbreaking for that, for that project in February. New owner-occupied construction, hopeful for the 2023 budget that we still are able to do those in partnership with um, a, develop, a nonprofit developer. The new owner-occupied construction, uh, that is all. Those are all affordable units, and those 90% um, of those take place in the core neighborhoods. Rehabilitation, owner-occupied resale. So that is the project that at the end of 2022 was approved for 12 units that were um, in a rental portfolio that were purchased to be, to be um, transferred for ownership opportunities. And then the gap, gap financing is always a need that we see. Um, didn't put any projections on that because I don't know what will be finalized. 
just to show you a difference on the trajectory of 2022 and 2023 based on what's on the horizon, what we've done. Uh, the unit count that, that I delivered for 2022 is pretty in line for what we see within NCPED these last couple of years. Um, in progress rental, anywhere from 100 to 113 projected units that are rolling over, um, committed but not completed. In progress ownership, that number for 23, the projections is a lot higher, and that's due to that year-end uh, award that commission approved for those 12 additional units. So that was a really um, creative way to get more ownership opportunities in the core neighborhoods. Complete preservation for 2022 was 228. It's projected to go down in 2023, mostly because in 2022 there was still some catch up happening from the pandemic where you couldn't go into people's homes. And so there were some backlogs on the, um, just the projects getting completed. So it usually is right around the 200 mark. Completed uh, rentals for 2022 was as again was 70 and ownership was nine. I should have brought a little tea up here. <laughs> uh, we also have federal funds that run through um, and work into our housing strategy. Our federal funds are reserved for the core, the core neighborhoods. Uh, we, always, we always market those as uh, low income, affordable opportunities in the core neighborhoods um, and community development black grant neighborhoods. So the projections of that we have for 2023 with our federal dollars, and these are agreements that are already in play, is 170, 172 units, 90 of them being dedicated for those who are aging in place, a little over $2 million. These numbers can't really roll into the annual projections because HUD program year is uh, very different than an annual year. It uh, runs July to June, uh, but it oftentimes doesn't open up in July. It could be September, it could be November, uh, it just wins, <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, so we, we just have to keep kind of a separate tally on these. Um, but, but through those federal funds, we offer homeowner roof repair, uh, critical home repair both for seniors and for families living in our CDBG designated areas. Um, critical home repair are those small items that need addressing immediately. So it might be a burst water heater and it's like, okay, we need to address this immediately. We have uh, code enforcement programs and we also have lead-based paint remediation and radon. Okay, so when we look at the county housing plan, county housing plan indicates there is a need for 7,750 units over the next two, 10 years in countywide. So in working with Upjohn Institution, we were able to drill down and determine what the city need is of those 7,750 units. The city need is 2,155 2, units over the next 10 years. That is, this is to meet current demand, current pent-up demand, as well as future demand. The unit type is, uh, we need all unit types. We need single family detached. That's the typical home that's just sitting on a lot. There are no other structures, maybe a garage attached to it. 
We need single family attached. That's a duplex, triplex, fourplex. We need mid-sized multifamily, which is five to 25 units. We need low and mid-sized units, which are those larger apartment complex, 25 plus. And we need accessory dwelling units. Accessory dwelling units is a really uh, critical part of the housing plan because it is a way to create affordable housing opportunities as well as build wealth, wealth and equity for those who are um, managing those projects, those, those units. So single detached units in the general urban area, 70 units are needed. Urban center is 300 and urban core there is none. Urban core is the downtown area. Urban center are the neighborhoods surrounding the downtown area. General urban are those that, one, that, run, that sprawl out further than those that touch the downtown area. So in total, in the general urban area between all unit mix, all unit types, 355 units are needed. In the urban center, 1,200 units are needed. And in the urban core, 600 units are needed. This is an example. As I mentioned, there's going to be a couple just examples that I provide of what this looks like if we were to um, put within the strategy the concentration of incomes. So if we were to say, all right, meeting 20% of the, the pent-up demand and the future demand, if we were to say that we want to, uh, we want to focus that 30% of all of our units are affordable, what does that look like projection-wise for subsidies? So right now on average, uh, for a single family detached, we're subsidizing an affordable, affordable unit by about 65,000. This is the bottom, the second to the last before the bolds. Uh, for a single attached, a single um, family attached, we're subsidizing about 55 per unit. Mid-size multi, 28,500 per unit. Low and mid-rise apartments are 19,000 per unit. And estimated for ADUs, uh, this is, we haven't, we've only built one of these, so this is an estimate based on what I, I think that a lender would probably finance um, is 30% or 30,000 for subsidy. So if we were to take a 30% approach that all of our units um, for every year, we wanna make sure 30% of our units are affordable, we would see a 10-year projection of just a little over $19 million given today's cost and subsidies. Just an example to see how this plays into budget numbers. So, as I mentioned, the phase of development, where CPED and the divisions within the city are working to meet the developments, to create more construction opportunities, units, and strategic partnerships. Um, within the concept and feasibility stage, we really are focusing on, all right, what can we do with our zoning and land uses? Uh, within the financial stack and feasibility, we're thinking let's create some infrastructure strategies so that we meet some of these developments two, three years down the road, and we've actually built an infrastructure that allows the type and more of the units that we need. And then um, during the financial stack and construction, we still are gonna be working with incentives and still gonna be coming, <laughs> asking for gap financing. And then post the lease up um, phase, how can we create within our agreements long-term affordability through compliance measures? 
I will turn the rest over to Antonio. Uh, thank you, Ms. Parsons. So, as you can see, um, I think a lot of times it's like, what are we doing? What is the city doing? Um, this is the example of what we're doing. And so, it, it, as you can see, we're, we're looking at between 200 and 300 affordable housing development initiatives that we're trying to hit on the average. Um, as I share more numbers with you, you'll, you'll see that from this map, these are all the development locations that we know about on this map. And this is the bigger vision of the, of the city. And we'll, we'll zoom in a little bit more because as you get in a little bit closer, you'll see in the core part of the city, pretty much the downtown surrounding metro area, that's where most of the development is happening and that's where most of the development in the future will continue to happen. Um, mainly because that's where a lot of our um, vacant parking lots and land is in our core part of our city, not in the, um, um, the core neighborhoods, our three neighborhoods, we have a lot of land. Uh, we've made a lot of um, space available for developing um, those lots because of the zoning changes, as um, Ms. Parson mentioned, which gave us more flexibility to work with, hopefully the land bank in the future to develop um, additional housing, um, especially in the affordable housing uh, market. But as she stated, you know, you're looking at, like I said, 2022, 307, right? 307 and then 2023, um, 80, that's, um, as I say, on the books, and then depending on uh, budget approval, additional um, 121, adding up to 201. So in a two-year period, you're looking at 500, okay, which is a nice number to be at. Um, we got to keep in mind the importance of this map is um, we are limited on our land capability, okay, in particular in our neighborhoods. Um, so we have to be conscious of that and be aware how to be creative in what we're doing in development, especially in the single family housing development component. Um, 20 years ago when I worked for the city in, in my past, uh, when um, Commissioner Cooney, Dr. Cooney was just a regular commissioner, um, we had a lot of land that was contaminated. We still have a lot of land that is contaminated. Uh, one thing we did was, uh, with the Brownfield Authority that was created during that time period when I was here, is that we got land back on the books. We cleaned it up, put it out for sale, got it out. Um, the interesting thing is the land we have today, I had back there in 20 years ago. Um, I knew back 20 years ago that it would take 20 years for us to start developing that land. Um, I've been encouraging my staff that, yes, the land you're dealing with is very difficult. I dealt with it 20 years ago. The good thing is uh, with technology and development, we're able to create you know, vapor barriers and things like that that gives us more um, technology flexibility to develop some of the land that was not developable 20 years ago. So we have a lot more projects uh, on land that was not um, developable in the Harrison Circle area um, 20 years ago that, are, that is being developed now, um, which is on this map as well. So the capabilities 20 years ago for us to develop the land in the city was not there that's here today. Um, we're in a way better place than 20 years ago um, in cleaning up our sites and redeveloping these properties. Um, with that, as we drew, zoom in a little bit closer, 
This is the core area of our downtown metro area that's, that's a lot of these projects are coming into. Um, it's stated in the county plan, you know, and as um, Sherilyn pointed out, you know, 2,155 units uh, over a 10 year period, especially in the affordable range, is not only doable, but possible um, to hit that number. We think we definitely can get there. Um, it's gonna be, have to be a combination though of um, single family, which there's not a lot of, we probably got 500, maybe a thousand if we can squeeze it out of lots that we can probably do single family on over that time period and then we'll be probably tapped out, just to be honest, until you start, until you maybe start knocking some stuff down, um, which gets interesting, that's all I gotta say. But because of the possibility of building up, um, we have other opportunities for mixed use development um, in our downtown metro area, which we're looking into. One thing that's, that's great that's happening is that we are having a resurgence of not only housing um, in our downtown metro area, but we have a resurgence of people that want to live here in Kalamazoo, which is a great, spectacular uh, place to live. Um, our quality of life is spectacular. Um, we want to focus on our quality of life. We think we have a great downtown. We have issues. Every downtown has issues. Um, when we get rid of some issues, guess what? New issues will come up. Um, that is just part of the city process. But um, we have identified on this map um, over uh, 1,500 units of housing that's um, on the books um, in combination of some housing that, of course, Ms. Parson talked about, but additional market rate, senior housing development projects that are not funded by us, that are privately funded. And that's gonna make a difference. Um, 1,500 units, that's a possible additional 3,000 people that'll be living in our downtown metro area. So we as a city, when we talk to the community about um, redesigning our roads, putting in more bike lanes, it's not for today, it is for tomorrow. Tomorrow, we have three to 5,000 more people coming into our community. We need to keep them in our downtown metro area not driving in and out of town. We want them to stay, live, work, play, shop. That is our mission. In this process of development, we are of course creating incentives for affordable housing, but we will also be trying to work on incentives for market rate and workforce housing in our downtown metro area. We want quality of life for all levels of housing. That is our mission. That is the initiative here. So in closing, we want to make sure that we as city staff are providing opportunities for everyone and anyone, including our student population, to have a high quality of life living here in the city and have high quality of housing. We expect that we will be working with you as the mayor and vice mayor commissioners to achieve this goal, not only today, but hopefully 10 years from now. Um, this is a never ending journey. Um, our objective is creating the infrastructure and incentives that can not only sustain the housing that we're creating, but create a high quality of life for everyone at every level. So this commitment of dollars that you're voting on tonight and in the future 
we're giving you a snapshot of what the possibilities are, but we're also gonna be bringing back to you other development projects that will enhance the ability of our downtown metro area beyond just housing, but mixed use development. We wanna create space that people can not only enjoy, but enjoy as families and as business people. So we are here to answer your questions. Thank you. I, I want to say thank you very much, Director Mitchell. I appreciate that. And Ms. Parsons, questions from the commission? Anyone? Yes, Commissioner Hoffman. Thank you so much, team, for your presentation. Um, you all know housing is just my jam, right? Um, but what I'm starting to realize is it's not just about the bricks and mortar. And what are we doing to revitalize the neighborhoods? Like when we talk about division heads, I'm wondering, is, is uh, KDPS at the table? Because I can see those 12 units that were purchased in the area that they were. Part of that was bringing police, healthcare, education to that community to make sure that we're, we're just not focusing on uh, the bricks and mortar, the housing, but we have a social component to it as well. And so my question again is like, who are those division heads? And, and if they are not at the table, do you anticipate bringing them to the table? Uh, okay, I'll start. Uh, the answer is yes. Um, pretty much uh, one thing that um, I started before I was uh, director was uh, working with um, Director Kidd or Manager Kidd now on collaborating with our other departments, direct department, public safety, um, uh, our building department um, to not only work on, like you said, a communication of information, but having community meetings of additional feedback. And one thing we try to make sure um, the, the residents understand, we're looking for feedback, not construction, um, on how to do construction, um, not construction on how to do the road, not construction on building a house, but feedback on what type of housing they wanna see, what type of road designs fit best for their neighborhoods. Um, one thing that was successful that we don't talk about, um, but we talked about a lot when we met on the north side was um, the community wanted speed bumps. We said, well, we can't do speed bumps, we gotta do speed humps, so we had to explain that uh, we said we got to put this in and put that in. Uh, we found out speed humps work. Now, as, as, as you know, as commissioners, when something works, we don't hear about it. Uh, when it don't work, we definitely hear about it. Um, I did get feedback from the neighborhood association of individuals that the speed, the speed humps and the communication and working with the community um, hand in hand with public services and with public safety um, enhanced the ability of some of those neighborhoods. And there's new additional construction of some speed humps that will happen this year as well to slow down the traffic um, in the case of the north side and in certain neighborhoods and certain blocks. So that collaboration and communication is happening. Um, that uh, relationship with other department heads um, is continuing and we're trying um, even more to work with public safety, not only neighborhoods, but also future development and communication in our new downtown neighborhood, which is um, expanding with the residential growth that's happening downtown as well. Thank you for that. And my, my second question is, when you talked about Sherilyn declining markets and neighborhoods, can you share one or two of those? Yeah, so identified within the county plan, it was noted that there are certain neighborhoods where the population is decreasing. 
Um, and then there are other neighborhoods where there was a population increase. So specifically in the counting plan, it did show that there was a decrease in population on the north side of Kalamazoo. There was an increase in population in Arcadia. And yeah. Thank, thank you, Commissioner Hoffman. Other questions, commissioners? Commissioner Morris? No, okay. Commissioner Decker. Thank you, Mayor. Um, thank you guys for that presentation. I've been excited about this one. <laughs> um, so I guess I do have a question. I know that we have pre-approved plans for housing, which I think is awesome. Um, do you foresee some of these projects being many of those pre-approved plans, or, or what do you think? Yes, thank you for that question. So that was not in the presentation because we're still working through uh, the completion of those pre-permitted plans, so they're not online yet for me to project out when they're going to be built. But they are projected to, for the plans to be completed in 2023. So you'll see those uh, a lot more visibly in the next present year-end pres presentation I do. Um, but yeah, where we really see the um, pre-permitted plans coming into play with, is with some of our infill strategies. And as, as another just plug to strategic partnerships, working with the land bank with their vacant lots to sort of plug and play what goes on the lots and then taking a step back to think about incentives and infrastructure to not only what can go today on the lot, but what can be prepared for um, for tomorrow as far as the infrastructure. So yeah. Thank you. Um, and I, I wouldn't say this is more of a question, but um, I love that we're preserving our existing stock because as you said, I love how we're preserving our existing stock. And as we begin to build more units, we're keeping that stock in hand, we're keeping it up to date, so when someone can move, that when they take over that space, it's, it, there's not a lot of work to do with it. Um, and Tony, or Director Mitchell, you talked about the brownfields, and I think our brownfield department is very important, because as you said, there's tons of properties um, that sit on the, the brownfield that are contaminated, that they're trying to get worked out and are rehabilitated to be able to build something on. And we've finally gotten to that point to where we can do that. So I think that is awesome. Um, I'm excited to hear about what incentives we have. And I'm hoping that some of these incentives will bring more nonprofits, for-profits, individuals, um, businesses that really want to build and ho hoping that we're looking at really offering an incentive to businesses and organizations that can really rent these out at 60% um, or below or below AMI, not just market rate but below that also because that's more of where the need is I feel that a lot of you know our community needs specifically right within that gap. Um, so if, if I may to that, yes. I, I agree with you on affordable and I, I didn't omit it when I talked just by oversight. So yeah, when I mention affordable, I really am looking at two classifications of affordable, under 50% and under 80% AMI. So I'm grouping those both together, but they operate differently. But they are looked at uniquely within the housing plan and strategy. 
um, because the incentives and needs for under 50% look different than what they do for under 80. So although they're both considered affordable, they are two different tiers of affordability. So thank you. Yes, thank you for that. Because um, we all know affordable to one mm -hmm. doesn't mean affordable to everybody else. So thank you for that clarification. Um, yeah, I'm excited to see what's going to happen. Like you said, we had, you know, Notre Dame came down. They did that study. They showed us all of those vacant lots that we have that we could possibly do something on. We've now gotten some areas cleaned up. Um, it's a new year. So I'm hoping that, you know, we can do this. I know we can do this. I'm not hoping as I know that we can do that. And um, I'll definitely support getting some new housings and, and things like that. So thank you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you, Commissioner Decker. Commissioner Hess. Yeah, again, thanks. That was, that was great, good to know. Um, so as we, as you all went through your budget process throughout last year for this year, uh, proposing the budget for this year, do you feel like what you've proposed and what we will potentially be voting on this evening is adequate for doing what you are going to do in, in addition to the HUD funds and so on? Is, are the funds adequate for what it is you feel you need to do for our community? <laughs> it's a trick question. It's a trick question. <laughs> so, so the, the the answer is the answer is yes. We'll, we'll work with what we we have. the The issue is we always would love to have more. Uh, we're we're developers, um, community development, economic development. We work together. Um, the issue is with development, um, as everyone knows, there's always a gap from market rate to workforce, and of course, affordable um, housing. Um, we are trying to create the incentives to close that gap as much as possible. If we cannot close that gap in the future, it's hard to help developers that want to do affordable housing to develop affordable housing. It's just more expensive. Um, you're building the same structure, you're charging a different rate. So you have to have incentives that close that gap for um, that project to not only break even, but hopefully to be in the black, as they say. So we're trying to make sure that we're um, putting together the right incentive packages that can leverage dollars. That was Cheryl's whole presentation. We're leveraging the dollars you give us, and this is how. We get more dollars in the future, we leverage more dollars. Now that doesn't mean, and it, this needs to be clear, um, because that's why it was important to, to point out that 18 to, six, to 36 months, that doesn't mean you give us money today, something built today. It's a year and a half, two years that it's gonna be built. So you, you gotta keep that in mind. Um, it's great to have a big chunk of money, but the impact of that money will not be seen for a year and a half to maybe two years. So our goal is 10 years. This is what we wanna do. Will we be able to do more? That is up to you and commissioners behind you that come forth and how we can leverage existing city dollars, state dollars, and federal dollars. And hopefully, um, as we bring up, leveraging more county dollars as well. Um, that millage has to get revoted if it is passed by the county. Uh, we as a city want to tap into more of those dollars to leverage more dollars for creating more affordable housing. Um, so we always can get more money, but it needs to be clear that money will have effect a year and a half, two years from now, as um, was presented today. Fantastic, thank you. Um, and just curious, 
How many developers does the city work with? How many developers do we have? Um, I know it's like 50 on a regular basis. One thing we're, we're trying to do um, um, through um, on the economic development side, we're trying to train up more smaller developers right now. Um, we're trying to add that in our, um, our incubator that's being developed by Kandu, Kalamazoo, or a training center component that can train up more smaller contractors. We have a lot of um, um, smaller landlords that would like to not just be landlords, but would like to build a couple of houses. Um, our goal is over the next 10 years to have 10 small, uh, hopefully minority women contractors that are building houses in our neighborhoods. Um, we're moving forth with that. We had seven, eight minority contractors we've been working with to get their certifications and things like that late through the last year and a half. Um, we plan on hopefully as um, Sherwin's point out, incentivize um, our plans to be developed. You know, uh, we plan on working with, and Commissioner Decker's on the Brownfield Board, working with the Brownfield Board to help us uh, develop the infrastructure. Um, sorry to say we have a lot of older infrastructures in, in our neighborhoods that um, we have our lead program, pipe program, right? Um, it's there for a reason. Um, we have old pipes, we have old systems, we have old streets, we have old infrastructure. Um, hopefully we'll be able to leverage some of our um, know-how. We're working with the Brownfield Development Authority to work with CDBG dollars to enhance our infrastructure for the housing that we're trying to develop. And we're working on that plan right now. Just good news. Yes, just Thank good you, news. Director Mitchell. Yes. Thank you, Sharon. Commissioner Pradle. Hey, thank you guys for your presentation. Um, I just wanted to share that threeplex project, I think it was on Wall Street, that was a KNHS project, it was so cool. I mean, on just one, you know, basically a normal plot, you know, on that street, yeah. So the picture, it's right, right there, yeah. yeah. I mean, effectively has a downstairs, an upstairs, and then an above uh, unit, I think accessory dwelling above the garage, if I'm not mistaken, but it was Correct. really a spectacular model of what could be, and uh, it was neat to see that. Um, I was kind of curious, uh, one question I had for you is about uh, the home share concept. And I know during our retreat back in February, we brought up that as, you know, something that's kind of on the, the horizon some point, you know, maybe. Um, I was just kind of curious about your take about what, what you think needs to happen uh, on the front end to make that happen eventually. Or if you still see that as a viable option for our community down the road, those, those are just your initial thoughts about that. Would you remind me of the specifics on the home share? Yeah, so the, the, the premise of it, it's a, mo it's a model that's um, worked in Ann Arbor. And effectively what happens is you have existing homeowners and it's predominantly homeowners who, who are aging, yeah. trying to age in place, who have limited income. Yep. And then you have, uh, basically what they do is they put themselves in a pool, kind of like you would at like a, a dormitory matching program. And then the homeowner gets matched with somebody who maybe is struggling to find affordable housing and so then they might pay, you know, three, four hundred dollars a month to live there. But with that is the commitment that, hey, I might mow the yard or I might take your laundry down or I might, um, you know, help with some of the repairs in the house. And so the idea is it's a win win situation because you're helping create income for the homeowner that's trying to age in place or stay in their home. You're helping uh, the person who needs to find affordable housing, a viable option. Um, and so it's, it, that's basically the, the summary of it. Yes. I wanted to make sure I wasn't yeah. speaking out of yeah. turn. So we have been talking about that with the architects, or 
architectures, architects with the pre-permitted plans. So some of our pre-permitted plans actually have the option to put on an addition that would allow for a, a stay such as that. So it would allow for the for the the home to have some sort of existing unit built within it. Um, in anticipation of what we're hearing from our community that there is a need to think about those who desire to age in place. And so our permitted our pre-permitted plans have been thinking um, or taking into consideration options and tools and programs such as that. Um, we haven't been talking to anyone specific about launching the program, but we are thinking about how can we create units that allow for additional living space that is separate but the same. I think in most cases with the, the program in Ann Arbor as well, I mean, it's just like the, a bedroom, you know, so they, they just will use an existing bedroom, you know, if they had, you know, children who had grown up or a, lost a spouse or something and had extra space in their home or whatever, but um, there definitely seems to be a need out there for that and a desire and it's pretty low resource, high return, you know, because you think about if you can just find 100 homeowners, you effectively created 100 extra units right. like that, mm -hmm. you know. Um, yeah, thank you for that. Uh, the other thing I was going to ask you as well is, I don't know if you followed, but in, uh, in Canada, they just recently banned foreign investment in housing. I don't know if you saw that. Mm -hmm. And effectively, the rationale for it, whether you believe it or not, that it work is just that because they have a housing crisis that they don't want a bunch of uh, properties going to foreign investors who are just trying to create vacation homes on lakes and whatnot. And, you know, I've heard a number of people talk about concerns of, you know, people from out of state who come in and buy up mass properties or, you know, uh, and then things are in subpar conditions and whatnot. I'm just curious about your, you know, just, I mean, it's not that maybe you put a ton of thought into it, but just your personal feelings about not saying that we would do something like in Canada, but but what are your thoughts about people who are out of state investors or, or mm -hmm. different techniques you're seeing other cities do or something that? Um, so one of, one of the things that we have resurrected in light of seeing something like that happen is the city does have the right to exercise a first right of refusal on properties that are in jeopardy of, of foreclosure. And so we are starting to look at those and look at where development's happening, what's going on in the area. Is this a strategic area that we really do need to get involved, jump in front of that, um, protect and preserve. And so we are starting to look at those strategies that we have available to us mm -hmm as a response to exactly what you're speaking of. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. And then uh, last question I had for you as well is that, um, you know, one of the things that I've, just, I've kind of heard floated, if you will, is that um, when it comes to the housing for all millage in, in Kalamazoo County is just kind of this uh, thought that, you know, the city of Kalamazoo is good because we've got, you know, CDBG and FFE and, and there's this kind of perception that, you know, we really should be just investing the vast majority of this housing for all millage in out city areas because they don't have existing resources like, like we do. I'm just curious to what your thoughts are about that and if you think that's an accurate portrayal of the need and then the reality of, of where the, um, you know, yeah. you're seeing on the ground. Yeah, so I was as bold as to memorialize it in the PowerPoint as what I feel is, um, you know, the city's perspective on that. Uh, the county housing plan very clearly indicates that it's for low vulnerable populations, for supportive services, where the needs are. Um, and 
the city absolutely has to partner partner with the county on um, it, it we have to leverage our resources we we are the most concentrated of, of sort of geographical area and we also represented within the plan the biggest need and so I I I would think it would, it, yeah, I, I think that we have to partner as per the, the presentation. It has to be a strategic partnership. Of course, I know. Thank, thank you, Commissioner. Other questions? <laughs> Commissioner Huffman. Thank you. I was just thinking of something when we talk about AMI and, and, um, we know that Kalamazoo, we're connected to Portage, we're connected to some of the outlying other small counties that are just on the border. Has your team considered a small area median income um, to adjust though the income, the median income for the core neighborhoods, specifically South Side, East Side, and North Side? So, no, we really do think by, by concentrating both, both on the under 50 and on the other, on the under 80%, and then also figuring out how do we get the, the housing market to recycle the way it should. That that will start to balance out as we concentrate intentionally on building opportunities on all of these fronts. Um, and, and studies show that it really will balance out because, um, because if, we just, if we just lower our AMI, then what happens is we end up building to a market that also uh, harms the overall neighborhood market. And we don't want to do that. We want to make sure that in every uh, intentional build that we're focused on the market, the um, equity within that market, and building wealth and equity for the existing homeowners. So we want to really balance out the, the flow of development on sort of all tiers and all fronts so that the market itself begins to see an increase with wealth and, and the preservation of housing for the existing residents, that you start to see an increase in your property values and your own equity, and you begin to experience the wealth of home ownership as would a, a larger performing market, neighborhood market. Thank you. Other questions, commissioners, at this point? So I just have a few specific questions, and so thank you so much for doing this. A lot of stuff to bring into one meeting. Uh, j just some thoughts out loud here. I, I know that you're already working on some of these things, but when you talk about paving the way to development, you know, enlist zoning, of course, infrastructure, that sort of thing, I presume you're also looking just at our internal uh, site plan and building approval process which can be one of those things that either expedites or slows development. So I didn't see it specifically called out in your plan here, but I know we're looking at that. It certainly you know, can be the case that uh, whether it's pre-approved plans or the fact that w we do two things sometimes when we set up here. You know, we talk about more affordable housing, but the, we also uh, pass things that make it more difficult to create housing, for example, you know, with the best of intentions, creating the natural features. Preservation overlay adds more cost and time on the development side. And so we, we, we do that on one side and then hope, you know, that, you know, we can still have affordable housing and we just have to recognize that we are trying to balance 
things when, when we take those actions. So I assume that you're including some version of that because sometimes you talk about people coming in with, with a great idea and then you get into that feasibility part and sometimes that can feel like that's the place where good ideas go to die. You know, you find out, oh, oh no, we need this, oh wait a second, there's that. We have some design requirements in the general downtown area, that kind of thing that end up, you know, at maybe adding some costs. So I don't know how, what you're, you don't have to talk about that right now, but what you're thinking about in that space just to make sure we're doing everything we can there. So it feels like a, a how can we get you to yes kind of a process instead of, uh, uh, in essence, uh, you know, sometimes can feel like one impediment after another, I guess. Uh, another thing, just on your page here about the, the LIHTC approved, you have 64 uh, up here on your chart. Are you talking about the senior development on South Rose? Yes, That's the 64, I presume. Yeah, when I, when I submitted this, the new announcement hadn't been made yet. So right. Yes. So we just have the Zion Apartments that is Hollander and uh, Mount, Mount Zion uh, Partnership, which just was approved out of the October. So that's another up to 70 units, I think, more or less, ultimately. Yep. 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 In that particular project. Just, uh, just another thought about that. This is something I say on a regular basis. But the best actual leverage uh, that you can participate in is leveraging those tax credits projects. You're talking about 70 units there. That's a huge number of units. I think we have about 16 million or so in tax credits that come into that project. Might be a $20 million project altogether. So you're talking about that project is, you know, there's assistance there from the county. Uh, I, you know, I believe we're helping in that one as well. So, you know, with those investments, you leverage a, a huge, huge investment on the tax credit side, and that gets you a lot of units there. So that's that, that's a good thing, yeah. and that'd be another. We're doubling that number, right, on this chart. So yeah. that's great. Um, when you talked about you know the critical home repairs and, and lead work, uh, I'm assuming you didn't include that lead grant amount in the total. I don't see it in that two million there. I assume that's lead grants on top of that. Yeah, so what I included is basically the, what we think is going to get out on the street per project yeah. instead of the whole grant itself. Okay, so some of those lead grant numbers are included in this then. Okay, yep. cooked into that. Okay, great. On the subsidy side, I was a little surprised to see the 65 because I thought we had as much as 100 into some of those owner-occupied homes. So 65 an average or... Yes, so since the 65 is the average since I've been sitting in the, the seat, so the average was skewed when we factor in some of the various um, uh, different projects that sort of trying on for size, like what really works, where what's, what's right sizing this thing, but we're sitting at about an average of 65 for, for affordable detached units. Okay. Mm -hmm. So for some, it's higher than 65, right? There, there have been some higher than 65, yes. Okay, all right, helpful. Hey, here's a question you might not know off the top of your head, but I was just wondering, we're talking about numbers, a few thousand here and there. Do we have a, and if I remember right, I think we have about 28,000 housing units or somewhere in that neighborhood in the city of Kalamazoo. Are you familiar with that, what that total overall number is? It, that is ringing a bell on the, um, Plan. I think it's around that on the um, that the county it does the county plan does pull that out. Yes. Yeah. 
Right. So that's just interesting. Uh, kind of puts things in context when we're thinking about well, how many housing units do we have currently? Or are we using some? That losing any of that sort of thing? Uh, and what are we trying to do relative to all that? I would suggest at the end of the day, and I can see how you're you're set up with this work. What we are hoping is that as you talk about this general market, that partners will come into play as well. You know, even our for-profit partners who are just literally building houses. I think that there's an individual building a new house in the Vine neighborhood right now, which might be the first brand new house being built in the Vine neighborhood in, I don't know, 50 years? I'm not how long, sure how long it's been, but you know, a very, uh, a, a beautiful uh, owner-occupied house that's being built there in the Vine neighborhood, which has all kinds of energy efficiency built into it. Just an exciting thing to happen, and it'd be, it would be that kind of work is what's going to ultimately add to our work to help us be successful. So I, I know we're thinking about that piece as well. Yes, that is, that is key. To see private investment come into the neighborhoods is a great indication that that market is beginning to perform the way a market should perform, per, should perform for the residents that live there to experience wealth and equity in their investment of their home. So yeah. Right. All right, well thank you so much. Quick question. Uh, another question, Commissioner. Do these numbers that you provided to us tonight include houses built by Habitat? So we did not have any partnerships with Habitat in 2022. Uh, so we hope to re-engage our partnership in 2023, barring budget, <coughs> budget approvals. Um, but in 2022, actually in the last two years, we haven't had active partnerships with Habitat. Anything else for us at this point? So this just person's? the last thing in, in, uh, with the housing units that you brought up. Yes. Um, it is relative, if you, if you look at the city's sort of housing goals in the next 10 year, it's about 215 units per year that we're looking at. So it is, it is something, as Director Mitchell said, that is doable. Uh, it is something that we can actually, when we formalize the plan, put it in place and then start execute those those steps well, well thank you so much for all your work on this I really appreciate it last comments from anyone on this topic all right manager Prisma well that concludes our work session your honor thank you so very much I want to uh, any commissioner comments for this all right Thanks once again uh, for the work. Just want to remind everybody who might be watching is that our business meeting starts at 7 o'clock. There will be a, an opportunity for call-in public comments. Just as a reminder, the number is 888-382-9556. And uh, we're going to be closing out uh, this work session and soon be back in the chambers for our business meeting. We are adjourned. <laughs>